Hey everyone, welcome back to another Soundcore Stories. It's me, Sean, and I'm joined by a very good friend of Soundcore. It's Buck Snow. How you doing, Buck? I'm doing fantastic. Awesome. Buck is one of our favorite engineers, producers. He's won seven Grammy Awards. Uh, what was it? You ju- you've literally just reminded me. It was four American ones and three Latin. Latin Grammys. That's yep. it. That's it. Yep. That's how cool. What's the difference? That's a silly question, actually. What's the difference? Um, but- I mean, so the American Grammys are for releases in America. And then the Latin Grammys, I don't remember exactly, but it's uh, in the market for all of the Latin countries. So Spain, Italy, um, I believe it includes Mexico, Brazil, Portugal. Uh, so it's actually a much, much bigger market. So, yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, that, that market's... How do they set that criteria, you know? Like, at what point do you kind of exclude a song from being... Because, you know, you could be one of the world's biggest artists and then kind of just... How, how know, do you exclude that? Well, one of the um, one of the criteria for the Latin Grammy is, is that 51% of the vocals have to be in a Latin language. Oh, cool. So Spanish, Italian, Portuguese... Um, I believe that's what the the criteria is. So, um, but what I won for was uh, instrumental jazz albums. So, you know, it was uh, albums with Chick Corea and um, who has Spanish heritage and so forth. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was really exciting actually to, to win those. And what's, I think we've spoken about this before, but what, uh, remind, remind anyone that's listening for the first time, sure. actually introduce yeah. yourself to the audience and, uh, sure. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I've been mixing for quite a long time. I got started as a teenager and, um, got to work with a lot of big names. Uh, one of the biggest names that I worked with in jazz was Chick Corea and, uh, with many of his different projects such as return to forever and, um, some other projects that he did and uh i mixed probably close to 30 albums for him that is a big number (laughs) it is uh but he is a very prolific writer and you know put out a lot of albums so uh and a lot of his stuff was also recorded live because of the improvisational um nature of jazz he would do live shows and then you know he'd do a tour and from that tour they'd pick the best show or the best songs from different shows and compile together an album and put that out and uh yeah so i won um four grammys in the us with him and uh three grammys in the uh the latin market what i wanted to ask you as well so what is your favorite style of music you know is is your Uh, music your go-to music is is it jazz or is It's not at all, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I grew up listening to heavy metal and, uh, you know, rap core and stuff like that, like (laughs) Corn, Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park. (laughs) That was the music where I really got interested in in the creative process of music and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I just finished mixing an EP, um, like a metal, metal band. And uh, that EP should be coming out sometime soon. And uh, it's called Comet Crater. And I just had tons of fun doing that because it was like, you know, music that takes me back to my youth. Yeah. 
but uh, I'd mix mostly what I mix is pop and um, a range of things. But like I'll do anything from classical music, which I finished something in December. Those just straight classical styled, um, you know, all the way to metal and including, you know, jazz and pop and really any genre. Also, I do a lot of work in television and uh, film as well. So is there one skill skill? like skill set that you take, you can apply it to just all of the genres. Is there like a starting point? You know? Yeah, I think. I mean, it must be crazy. It must be crazy opening, you know, like if you have a metal band and you've got the session yeah. up and you go, okay, this is, this is wild. And then you open up like a jazz thing and everyone's improvising. It's live. And then you open up like a standard, really structured pop track. Is there something yeah. where you sit down and go, first thing first, let me do this. And it works across everything. I think the main thing that like appeals to everybody is being able to hear everything. Everybody wants, you know, they've put all these different instruments and they've played their heart out and everything, and they just want each of those things to be heard. So a big part of my mixing is clarity and making sure that everything that's in the song has a place and a position um, to, to stand on its own. And um, that requires also, though, you can't just say, oh, everything's at a uniform volume because that in itself doesn't work. It's a matter of making space and, you know, at this time, letting this thing be heard, which um, really, uh, you know, uh, doing film mixing helped a lot to kind of get that idea of being able to tell story within a song. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, because in film, you're, you're a storyteller. When you're making a film, um, what you're doing is you're telling a story. And there's a lot of that mentality that when you apply it to music, it just makes it pulls in the listener a lot more and it makes them, you know, um, invest themselves into it and really creates that emotional connection between the artist and the audience, which is what is the most powerful thing of music. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine some of the biggest films of all time? You know, like the huge scenes, if they had no yeah. music behind it. Like, oh, absolutely. How, how did, yeah. So that's a really good way of thinking about it, you know, because the music is making that, it, it's not making the scene, but it's help, It's definitely helping set the scene. Like, yeah. <laughs> otherwise yeah. you just have a couple of people maybe talking or staring at each other. <laughs> I, I think the most hilarious thing that I saw was a, a horror movie and it was in its early stages of post-production and there was no sound work done to it at all. And so it was just what happened on set. And it was like a lot of just guys standing around, like looking around <laughs> and being, you know, it was just like, okay. But then you put big booms and scary, you know, violins and stuff over it. And suddenly you're like, you're yourself like looking over your shoulder, like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> so do you get, to, do you, do you get to make some of the sound effects for like the TVs and films? Cause I've yeah, seen some yeah. cool, vi- Oh, cause I, I, I think I watched something for the walking dead once and they were just doing weird things like household objects, making yeah. noises. And it, when you see it, you see the screen and hear the sound, you wouldn't think it was someone squeezing a pair of boots or trainers or something. I don't know. That's right. Or, you know, like uh, some of the best sword, you know, sounds and stuff are like two metal spatulas scraping oh, against really? each other. Yeah. So what's the best one you've done? Uh, I think, let's see. The really wild ones are uh, creating creature sounds. 
you know, like big monster sounds. And, uh, you know, cause what you do is you record at a much higher sample rate, like 192. And then that automatically, when you play it back at 48K, it pitches it down two octaves. Oh, so yeah. you can you know you can have little tip taps on the, on a desk which then become boof 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 and uh things like that so uh you know playing with styrofoam cups and things like that which just sound like little screechy crackly noises and then when you pitch them down it's the the most you know crazy weird alien vocal sounds and stuff that's really cool you must yeah you must you must get to experiment a lot yeah yeah you just that's crazy it's so fun yeah so today on today's podcast we're going to do something a bit different i want this rather than me just rambling on all the time because otherwise i could sit and talk to you for hours about random things i'm sure we (laughs) we put together (laughs) um we asked the community for some questions so I'm going to dive straight in. Um, this is a good one. How much of the success of the project you're working on depends on the equipment you have? Um, I would say it's actually a small percent. You know, if I had to give it a number, I would say maybe like 40%. Um, and it's really about the, the skill in using it. And, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting question because, um, you know, in develop, developing my skills and, you know, my, like, I want this to sound this way, then I choose certain pieces of equipment, which make it sound that way. But, um, I kind of look at it as, as a comparison of like, you could hand me, uh, a DAW with just the basic stock plugins. And I would mix something and people would go, wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And you could give a, you know, full studio with a million dollars worth of gear, all the best plugins, you know, a, an amazing Neve analog console. And somebody could mix something on that and you'd go, okay, cool. So that's a good demo. When are we going to actually mix it? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's, that's, I've actually had that happen. You know, it's a, People have had a song, you know, mixed it at a great studio, but uh, the mixer wasn't up to the task. And then they come to me and like, hey, can you mix it? And it's like, okay, well, let me just do something quick here and let me know if this is the direction you want. And they go, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, okay, well, let me even, you know, now really put the time in and and flush it out even more. So um, the gear... I would say like, I don't know. I mean, so many people have these plugin packages where they, you know, you, you pay, uh, you know, 10 or 30 bucks a month or something and you get like 160 different plugins, but nobody knows what they all do. So (laughs) it would be much better just to get one plugin and then really learn it and try all the different ways that you could use it and learn it and go, okay, so that's like, that's the paintbrush that I'll use for this kind of thing and then move on to the next one and then move on to the next one, you know? So there's a, there's a, we call it a gas gear acquisition syndrome. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, somebody is trying to fix the problem by getting new gear when 
really they should learn how to use their gear. But it's there's kind of like a point to it too, because at a point you do learn your tools and you get used to it. And now I'll get new plugins and it'll inspire experimenting with new sounds and creating new uh, sort of textures and stuff. And, um, you know, sometimes like I'll go and start working on a, a new genre of music that I haven't mixed in a little while, you know, like, uh, like when I was doing that metal project, I went, okay, well, what are some plugins that would help make this sound? And, you know, I got one or two new plugins that, um, I was playing around with and I was like, oh, this really creates that kind of you know, aggressive in your face sound. And, you know, I might not have been using that plugin for a while on other genres, but I was like, okay, it fits really well with this. And so now I'm going to experiment with that. So they're necessary, but they're not the solution to what actually just takes learning the skills of, of doing a great mix. Yeah. Someone actually asked a question a bit further along mm-hmm. around with all this new technology that audio engineers have, do you find yourself just going back to to like old school actual hardware to get the sound you want? Like you might have downloaded one of these new plugins and gone, I kind of get what this is trying to achieve, but let me just dig out the actual piece of gear. Do you have you do you do that instead? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, with COVID and stuff and uh, streamlining things, I set up a home studio, and uh, to do that, I went more in the box than I had previously. And I found that the, uh, the universal audio, uh, plugins, they did a really, really good job of making plugins, which sound like classic pieces of hardware. And so, um, I'll go to those a lot of the time. Um, so I'm not literally using hardware, but I'm using the emulations of hardware, which, you know, only have one knob to adjust and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and some of my favorite reverbs are reverbs from the seventies and eighties, you know, so, um, I'll, I'll try some different reverbs, you know, and they're, they almost sound too clean and too perfect, you know? And so I want something from the eighties that has like a very textured, unique sound and stands out as being like, Oh, you know, hi, I'm the reverb. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I guess it's things are so accessible now. Like I've spoken about this loads on on some of the other podcasts, but like all, all these plugins and everything. In COVID, you just so many people like yourself setting up studios at home. Even even with my like demo setup when I'm playing music, I I am one of those guys where I have so many plugins and I'm kind of like I don't know what that one does. Yeah. Whatever. And every now and then you open one and go, that sounds really cool. And then yeah. having dove into it. Um, yeah. is, is there an artist that has, that has pushed you, pushed your skills as an engineer to new levels across? Cause you, you've, you've worked on that. What was it? 30, 30 albums. Yeah. Like that must've at the beginning that must've pushed your skills or each one because you've done so many. It does. I mean, yeah. I mean, just working with Chick Corea, it pushed my skills a lot because even though he's the same artist, he plays with so many different people. And, um, you know, uh, I think within like one of his groups, like say return to forever, uh, I only mixed about three or four albums. And that was probably the most that I did with one constant project. 
So, um, so out of those 30 albums, he had, gosh, I don't know, 20 different groups. And each one of those groups has its own sound, you know, uh, like the electric band, which was one of his groups was, uh, very, um, uh, I mean, I don't know what term I hate getting into all the genres and subgenres <laughs> and stuff, but you yeah. know, it's electric, it's electric guitar, electric keyboards and so forth. So actually it was the most like metal sounding thing that, you know, and actually that was probably how I got into it and really enjoyed it was like, they were playing it. I'm like, Oh, this is just like really technical metal. Yeah. You know? I get you. And then, um, and then he would also play stuff that was like, uh, you know, ballads and jazz standards with another group going back to like music from the thirties and stuff. So each one of those was interesting because it drove me to, to adapt and, and create a different sound for each, um, artist and, or for each group that was doing so that, uh, and also, you know, doing so much, it made me learn how to work really fast. Because, you know, you have a an album that's two hours long and it's uh but it's only three players, you know, keyboards, bass, and drums. So how quickly can you mix that, you know, and it's basically live performance. So it it pushed my skills to, you know, try to mix in real time and do like a real time performance mix on it, which also kept the energy up. And, um, you know, cause when you go over something again and again and again, it's, it's possible to then, uh, suck the life out of it. Cause yeah. you just kill the vibe. You, yeah. Your yeah. attention starts wandering. And so, um, uh, that I would say definitely pushed my skills to like a new level working with him. And then I don't know, there's artists that I listen to that I, say like, wow, how did they create that effect? And that while I'm not working with them, it pushes me to, to raise my skills and, uh, adventure into new sonic areas. And, um, I mean, that list is pretty long. I would say, I think BT was one of the most interesting guys. I started to listening or started listening to in my younger years, the, uh, the micro editing that he would do to create like stutter effects and things like that, uh, is absolutely amazing. Um, and he does it in a way that's so paints such a picture and it's such a storytelling that, uh, I think he had a big influence on me and, thinking about effects as an instrument itself. Yeah. 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 Cause that you can use, if you get the right effects, it can become a whole instrument in itself. Right. Oh yeah. If you can nail that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, is there anything in the last, like, I don't know, maybe year two, I don't, I don't know, maybe, yeah. Anything in the, in the last year that maybe you've just been driving along and going, Whoa, anything that's exciting you at the moment? Um, it's a big question. Uh, yeah, it is a big <laughs> question. I'm thinking, I mean, one artist that I've been listening to a lot recently who really blew me away is tech nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, he, I mean, his lyrical skills are amazing, but you then know. he also has, uh, like really great production and really great tracks that, um, are just so ballsy and, you know, energy out there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, him and also the rapper NF. Oh, I'm not who, familiar. NF is is fantastic, and his album The Search is largely orchestral arrangements, but like in a way that's really cinematic and really, really he heavy and hard. But it's almost all um, orchestral instruments with uh, like trap drums. Oh, and then he raps over it and and his his energy level is amazing and i just love that texture and that contrast in in his music so he's one of the guys that yeah i listened to and i went what <laughs> i have to check it out yeah um, another question to follow up from that from the community mm -hmm. is what's your favorite way to listen to music I mean, this this must be. I always think this must be pretty tough because you work with so many, so much music. Do yeah. you even want to listen to music sometimes? <laughs> uh, I mean, I do. Like, I I I love listening in the studio because I have really great monitoring, and then I can really hear what's in the studio or what's in the music and hear the details of it, and uh, you know, it helps me get inspired to to push my mixes to be better and better. Um, when I'm, when I'm like out driving and stuff, I don't listen to music that much because to me, the car is just terrible. Even if you have an amazing sound system in the car, <laughs> it just is, it's not a good listening environment. And, you know, I kind of like to get a break and, and, you know, see the world and experience the world. Um, but, uh, and actually for a long time, I wasn't listening to music outside the studio. Uh, until the Soundcore, I got the Soundcore headphones because any any headphones or earbuds before then, I would listen to music and I'd just be like, I no, you know, it just I don't get that same experience. So when I got the Soundcore headphones, I actually started, you know, I'd go out for a walk and I would put them in and I would listen and I'd be like, okay, yeah, this is, this is great. And, um, you know, now while working out in the gym, I use the sound core and I love, you know, listening to like tech nine and NF and things like that, or, uh, Nefex. Well, I like that you can customize with the Lipsy free pro. You can just customize the, the hearing, you know, like, cause yeah. the EQs and, and stuff. And that was my, when I first joined the company a couple of years ago, that was my first experience. Like, wow, I can tune these headphones to how I want to listen to them. Okay. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. So, so I tune them so that they sound as close as I can get to the studio balance. So now I can listen to them and I can also like, if I'm out exercising or whatever, going on a bike ride, you know, and I love the fact that you can turn on and off the uh, noise reduction. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm, you know, traveling or something like I used to have noise reduction the big headphones the big ones, yeah. for going on an airplane, but then you're like trying to sleep and they're, you know, <laughs> it's terrible. Now I just wear the Liberty pro threes and, um, it, uh, it makes traveling so much better. But anyway, um, 
they sound so good and I've tuned them to how I want to hear music. So now I can actually listen to things and study them and like actually get a good sense. And it relates when I then go into the studio and listen to them, you know, too much before I would like, listen, I would hear a track and then I'd be like, Oh, this is a great track. It's got an interesting kick drum. And then I would listen to the studio and I'd be like, Oh no, there's, there's no low end on that kick drum. (laughs) I think that's the feedback that we get across the board is like the, the bass response. Like you can, I think one of, I can't remember what engineer it was, was saying they were actually able to listen to one of their mixes, hear the bass, went back to the studio and kind of could adjust it. And um, that's pretty, I think, I know I, I work for Soundcore, but I mean, that's impressive for a pair of earbuds because you do, you do lose the bass in a lot of other brands. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And not only do you lose the bass, but if they're not in the right, you know, you, you, they, yeah. they get loose or whatever, but, uh, the Liberty three pros, they just, I put them in. It's always the same exact sound. Um, I love them. I, it, it actually, it really did expand where, and like reinvigorate me to listen to more music because now I enjoy it and I can listen to that quality, you know, down at the beach, down in the gym, anywhere. That's awesome. With, um, with this is, I think this is a good question. We kind of touched on it across the podcast mm-hmm. so far. Someone's asked with all the intricate layers needed to have a perfect mix or master in your opinion to achieve like the best sound. Yeah. Is there, is there one component or instrument that you seemingly use as the baseline or the pace setter for the rest of the song? I think we kind of touched on this earlier, but I know, but it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I guess I would answer it in saying that there isn't necessarily a perfect mix and master. And, um, that's, that's not a justification for mediocrity, but just saying, some people get too into too much of a cycle of revisions and revisions and revisions trying to make perfect when uh perfection is really created at every single step of the process you know the pushing the quality up as high as you can on every element of the recording the mixing and the mastering that's how you get a really high quality product at the end there's not one you know, you can't have bad recording, bad mixing, and then take it to the world's greatest mastering engineer and expect it to to sound like the most incredible, um, yeah. you know, song. Likewise, you could do really great recordings with an amazing engineer, but then take it to a bad mixing engineer and a bad mastering engineer, and it's not going to be better, you know? So it's like, it does take every step. But um, the most important thing, which I think is the deal breaker between being possibly really good and possibly bad, is the the vocal in most cases. Because that is... The general populace doesn't quite understand all the different instruments and things like that. So they would... If the vocal is bad, that's the thing that they're most connected to. Yeah. So if that's bad, they're going to be turned off. If it's really great, they're going to not know what's great about it, but they will know that it's great. Um, but I would say also, though, in pop music, probably even more important than that is the beat or the rhythm. 100%. I was going to say it's the vocals and the drums that yeah. stand out. 
That's right. Because you can have pop music where nobody understands the words and they don't really care about the vocal. But if it makes them dance, then it's a hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think the second part of this question actually was mm -hmm. how do you achieve such a balance? Like what you just said, as heard in Flight from Karuth, part one. Oh, okay. Um, that was a lot of... Okay, so that is a, a, a jazz song. That was one of my favorite albums. And um, it is kind of a wild improvisation between uh, all the players. And they are kind of making um, space for each other in the way that they're playing and so forth. You know, they're kind of doing a bit of a call and answer and so forth. But at the same time, they do step on each other's toes a lot and stuff. Um, it is actually like a multiple of steps. One is trying to get each one EQ'd and with their own reverbs so that they occupy their own space in the mix. And I do as much as I can with the faders just, um, you know, in a static position to balance it so that you can hear everybody playing off of each other. Um, and that takes EQ, takes different effects, um, to just make it so that they have their own space. And then once they do that, then it's little rides to direct attention, you know, like the guitars playing there and, then the the piano and then the saxophone and you know kind of bringing things up and down to to direct the attention so uh you know you make sure you hear those three little notes that the guy did and and so forth and um that may take five times ten times going over that you know doing little adjustments but it gets to a point where everybody is kind of there and you know not you know, one person isn't jumping out way louder than another person. And, uh, it gets that, that there's kind of like a magic where it just clicks yeah. and it it's together and you hear everybody and you get this emotional excitement. And when I, when I get that emotional excitement, that's where I stop. That's good. Otherwise you will never know yeah. when to stop. <laughs> you, you yeah, exactly. Turn in, or, you turn into a thing. It's never finished. Like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, that's, so that, that, that's the most important thing. Like there's no perfect mix or master, but there is a mix or master where it, you know, tugs at your heartstrings. It makes you excited. It makes you teary eyed. It makes you whatever the emotion is supposed to be. And, you know, it makes you want to dance. That's and, so much better than how I, I always say like, oh, for me, cause for me, a song is never finished. Like when I'm working right. on something, I'm like, oh, maybe I could do this. And then I just go, oh, it's not finished. But the way you just <laughs> eloquently put it, like, yeah, you know, when it gets to a point, you hit the emotions. So that's a, yeah, that's a positive way to actually, because I, I think that's the hardest thing is to know when to stop. When, yeah. when you're, especially when you get to the studio phase of actually recording your song. Yeah. Is because you you can listen back to it and you can go, oh, let me add another guitar. If, you, if, yeah. if you're not doing it live, obviously. And then it's, yeah. At what point do you stop adding to it? You know, like because you can always find space. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, you think you can? <laughs> yeah, you think you can. Yeah, that, that's the problem. You think you can find the space, but yeah, 
Yeah. Well, it's easy to let, you know, drop down those other guitars to, to make space. And then, you know, but then later you realize, oh, wait, those are the main chorus guitars. We actually need those up and then, you know, try to fit it. But um, yeah, I think that was the biggest lesson that I learned was when to, to, to be done. <laughs> and uh, if you if you were to make a graph of it, you could have like effort put into something and then, you know, how good it is. And you would have kind of like a bell curve where you put in effort and it gets better and it gets better. And wow, this is really good. This is really amazing. And then it's like, well, maybe this should be a little louder or no, maybe this. And then it, <laughs> you, and it's also your excitement level of the project too. There's a yeah. point where you're like, wow, this is really great. This is awesome. Uh, you know, but you always want to know, could it be a little bit better? Could it be a little bit better? So once I start to feel that I'm undoing work that I've already done, you know, the classic example is, oh, the vocals should be a little louder. Oh, the, the guitars should be a little louder. Oh, actually, now the bass needs to be a bit louder. Oh, we're losing the drums. Let's turn up the drums. Oh, now we're too loud on the master. Let's bring yeah. the master down. Oh, maybe the vocals should be up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going through that circle. And uh, that's when I take a break, go out, get some space, work on something else, and then come back and listen to it fresh and, you know, um, and see, oh, maybe the vocal isn't what needs to be louder. The vocal is okay. But maybe this one guitar part needs to come down and give it a bit more space, you know? So when I see myself, kind of starting back into a loop of, of changing things, then I try to reverse direction and look the other way and see, okay, so if the vocal needs to be louder, but it is actually loud enough. What, what's distracting from it? What needs to be taken down or something like that? But yeah, learning that, uh, that aspect of when to stop is, is a big part. And, uh, I would say when you start to lose interest in it, uh, you're probably going to be undoing a lot of the good work that you've already done. That's, that's the good lesson to learn as well. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to everyone on the Soundcore community for, for putting some questions in. It's yeah. And thank you so much, Buck, for taking the time out of your day to, to answer these questions as well. Absolutely. Um, it's been great catching up with you. It's, um, we've managed to keep this one to a, a shorter, I seem to remember the last podcast we did was quite a long one but yeah, um, yeah. we'll have we will we'll, i'm sure we'll be catching up again soon but yeah where can people find out more about your work and maybe check it check some of it out uh i think i put most of the stuff on my instagram which is at buck snow mixing and uh i should be updating that and putting a lot more of my stuff on there um i'm very excited to get into uh this new Atmos mixing, this immersive mixing stuff, like uh, spatial audio on oh, Apple. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we out. can save a bit of discussion of that for our next podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd love to talk to you about that stuff. Yeah, that's very exciting. I'm really, really excited to you know have the freedoms that that provides, and I think it's going to create a new new level of uh, enjoyment of music. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, but yeah, my Instagram, I post the most on there. 
Great. Uh, we'll put some links in uh, the article for this podcast in the description. And cool. once again, thank you so much. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. And thank you for having me.